At Emory University's Guizueta Business School, we believe in going beyond what is to build what should be. Because when you change your perspective, you change business for the better. And in an ever-changing marketplace, we seek to make our mark. To achieve more, build more, do more, create more. That's the Guizueta Effect. Hi, I'm Melanie Buckmaster, Director of Communications for Emory University's Guizueta Business School, and your host. Today I'll be joined by Renee Dye. Status, power, and influence. Career advocates are critical to career growth. In fact, employees with advocates are 23% more likely to advance at work. However, many workers assume that success is predicated purely on capability. Renee Dye joins to discuss the key role and critical attributes of advocates, how you can cultivate and attract influential players to meet your goals, and the impact of remote work on relationship management and organizational culture. Renee is an associate professor in the practice of organization and management at Emory University's Guizueta Business School. Prior to this role, she served in McKinsey's global strategy practice for more than 12 years and as Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer for Navigant. Her expertise has been featured in leading publications, including the Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Quarterly, and Fortune. Welcome, Renee. Thank you, Melanie. Delighted to be here. As an opening to your recent blog series, you mentioned a startling insight from a survey of MBA graduates at Guizueta. Of the many challenges new and emerging leaders face, these graduates felt least equipped to navigate organizational politics. Can you talk about how this has influenced the way that you teach? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked that question. When I was exposed to those survey results during a faculty meeting, I was still relatively new to the institution and to teaching in the MBA curriculum. And I would have thought before I heard the answer that the answer was going to be something like, boy, I wish I knew more about finance. Gosh, if only they had taught me about market research. I was really expecting it to be something highly functional in nature. So I was almost speechless when the result came back that the aspect of their education that students felt like they wish they had paid more attention to and had had more explicitly treated when they were students was navigating organizational politics. And I stopped to reflect on the fact that we don't treat that anywhere in the curriculum, right? That's one of those, quote, commonsensical, end quote, you know, skill sets that you learn around cultivating relationships that is just absent from the curriculum. And it's one of the reasons that I began a very intentional sort of process to try to correct that in my own curriculum. And I'm fortunate enough to teach all of the students in our full-time MBA program. Mm -hmm. And I devote an entire class session and have multiple conversations within other class sessions in my core strategy class now on career success and advocacy, because all the strategy skill sets in the world aren't necessarily going to propel you to the C-suite without the endorsement of those important advocates and champions who are going to help you make yourself successful in your own career. In your research, you share that organizations are not meritocracies. Despite this fact, many workers and students feel that career success is based on capability. 
Why is this assumption a mistake and what really determines career success? Yeah, it's another great question, Melanie. And this is a little paradoxical. And in some ways, it really gets the backup of a whole generation of students these days who are very schooled in the language of iniquity and very attuned to wanting to try to correct inequalities that exist in the world around us, you know, in our own lives. And I think that's an admirable sentiment. But the truth of the matter is that when you're making your way within an organization and up a, a career ladder, your success is, is going to be dependent on the people that you get exposed to, how effective a job you do, and honestly, how much you help that person be successful. The students should be thinking about not just how do I do excellent work, because that's still necessary. You can't fake your way through career success doing shoddy work. No, no one is going to stand for that. But it's not sufficient. So I think that students should just open themselves up to thinking about relationship management as a very important skill set that they need to cultivate in order to achieve their career aspirations, whatever those are. Well, we've we're talking about advocates today, obviously, um, and studies consistently show that individuals with career advocates are much more likely to achieve senior management positions. So what should you look for in a career advocate? So this, for me, is um, in some ways the crux of the issue that many individuals confront when they're trying to cultivate an advocate because they conflate advocates and mentors, and they're both wonderful things to have in a life. Um, mentors, however, I would encourage everyone to think about is more of the equivalent of a little bit of a safe space and a coach, like a personal coach, where you can go to that person with no fear of judgment, no fear of consequences, if you are completely transparent and open about mistakes that you've made, um, about self-doubts that you're having, and there will be no negative consequences from that. But the mentoring relationship does not assume that they are going to advocate for you. It is instead they're providing coaching services. An advocate, on the other hand, has a different set of attributes, right? So if you think about who a mentor is and what they do for you, you're going to look for someone you trust completely. You're going to look for someone you trust. You're going to look for someone who does not make you feel threatened in any way, someone who um, you're comfortable feeling vulnerable with and exposing what you see as your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So that's a very different kind of person than an advocate. Now, an advocate, you should select based on the criteria of, first of all, this needs to be a person within your organization um, or out in your network more broadly who is going to be above you vertically, right? So they are your, quote, superior. That means they have, uh, they've been in the jobs that they have for longer than you. They've got more accumulated experience. They may be your superior. They may be a few levels ahead of you in the hierarchy. But this is a person who has more political power that they can exercise to help you. Mm -hmm. It is someone who is in a position of authority and power who can leverage that power and authority to help you um, get forward in your career. The second thing that you'll need to be looking for in an advocate is that this is a person who needs to have a deep and abiding faith in you, 
right? That they are almost messianic in their belief in your capabilities and what you can achieve. And they know that you are not going to let them down. They can depend on you for excellent work and they can depend on you to know that if they do put you forward for a job promotion, that you are going to make them look good because you're going to work hard, you're going to take it super seriously, and everyone that they come into contact with in that new role is going to look back and say, wow, you know, your advocate, Sarah Smith, she really knew what she was talking about when she put you forward. Mm -hmm. So those are the couple of the attributes that you would look for in an advocate that, again, are very different from what you would look forward in a mentor. So are there any common mistakes people make when they're looking for career advocates? You know, I would say that I think the most common mistake that folks make, and this is most often a mistake made by, you know, underrepresented folks in the workplace too, is that they may think that an advocate needs to look like them, be of the same gender, be of the same race, be of the same class. When in fact, if you do that, you're really going to be limiting yourself to a smaller set of potential advocates. In my own experience, you know, only one of my advocates has ever been a woman, and that was my dissertation director. Apart from that, all of the strongest advocates that I have been privileged to have in my own career have been men. And I don't think that's necessarily a function of the fact that I was coming along, you know, decades earlier when there were more men in the workplace or because I was in more male-dominated industries. It's just a function of, you know, where there is a good fit between you and your advocate in terms of, you know, are you both heavily intellectual? Do you have other shared interests? You know, diversity is one of the more uh, wondrous aspects of human existence. So I think finding ways to tap into people both who look like you and don't look like you uh, when you search for career advocates is going to serve you well in the long term. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, one thing we talk about is when considering advocacy, the relationship must be mutually beneficial. So can you explain the advocacy value proposition and its importance in securing the right advocates? Yeah, I coined this term the advocacy value proposition because I meant this to be helpful. Whatever person that you're trying to cultivate an advocacy relationship with you know, has credibility on the line. They have worked hard to get where they are. They have accumulated what I would call, you know, social and political and relationship capital over the years that they don't want to waste and they don't want to squander, mm-hmm. right? So for them to take you on as an ad, you know, advocacy candidate, they have to believe that you are going to not only not deplete their store of social capital, but you're actually going to help build it over time. Mm -hmm. So what can you do to make it seem like a mutually beneficial relationship? Again, the number one thing that you can do is if you're in a position to be working with them, always, always, always do excellent work. There is no getting around that because without having fulfilled that necessity, no one is going to stand up and say, this person has got what it takes, let's push them forward. But that's just table stakes, right? So that's for them to even to consider you as a candidate that they would like to make successful. What I personally have seen many times is that 
folks go out of their way to try to make themselves helpful and sometimes even indispensable to people that they want to cultivate as advocates. And it may not be within the strict confines of your job description. You know, one good example that I like to give is that many senior executives, in fact, most of them serve on various nonprofit boards, right? It's when you get to a certain stature in the community, you're expected to provide community service and give back. And many of these people have causes that are near and dear to their hearts, but they're also very busy senior executives. So one way that you can try to, you know, make yourself indispensable to someone that you want to cultivate is to offer to be helpful with a cause that they're already involved with. You know, obviously, most of these organizations have fundraising galas once a year. There may be other things that they can do that you can say, hey, is there any way I can be helpful on, you know, this gala or this initiative within your nonprofit? You know, it has the added benefit of you'll probably get an opportunity to meet other people who may be on the board. But that kind of initiative folks really like to see because it shows that you're not just in it for a narrow job evaluation, but that you're kind of in it for the long haul and that you truly do care about the person you're trying to cultivate as an advocate. Mm -hmm. So the advocacy value proposition is, you know, all of these things. It's doing excellent work. It's making yourself useful and indispensable. And it's knowing that you always, always have to positively reflect upon the person mm -hmm. who is advocating for you so they never regret having done it. Because if you let them down, they will quietly withdraw their support for you. And then gratitude. People like to know that they're making a difference in your life. It's, it's not narcissism. It's just everyone needs to feel you know, fulfilled and gratified by the work they do and the people that they end up you know, spending time and effort on. So making sure that you're communicating that gratitude in a very heartfelt and thorough way is an important way to cement your advocacy value proposition. So in recent years, we've seen a major shift in employer policies surrounding remote work. Surveys show that workers are eager to embrace the flexibility of this approach, but there are costs to working off-site, including diluted company culture and waning employee engagement. How does working remotely impact your ability to progress your career? Oh, you know, Melanie, you have asked the uh, the $60,000 question these days. Actually, it's worth a lot more than that. <laughs> and truthfully, we are at an inflection point in work environments that if anyone tells you they know exactly what's going to happen, they're not right because no one knows how this is all going to shake out in the end. I would be the first to admit that there are real attractions of flexibility and autonomy in being able to manage one's work site and one's work schedule. Having been a consultant for many years, you know, I had the advantage of doing that in the days when I wasn't at a client site. But I would also say that, you know, without the ability to build camaraderie and an office culture with regular in-person interactions, because I do believe that they are so integral to the nature of the organization and the strength of the culture that develops there, it is going to be ultimately a much less satisfying work environment. And I'm not surprised to see the notorious uptick in attrition these days coming out of COVID 
because I think it's just easier to quit when you don't feel as connected to people in the workplace. Some other research that I saw also makes me fear for the younger employees in the workplace because the folks who benefit the most from the in-office culture are the younger people who still are looking for that apprenticeship, looking for that mentorship, and frankly, looking for advocates. I think it's very difficult to cultivate an advocate remotely, no matter how hard you try. And I have had many people confess this to me. They try to set up coffee talks virtually, you know, when they reach out to people, but it feels transactional. Mm -hmm. It's not as rich, it's not as rewarding, and it's not as fun. Mm -hmm. So I think getting back to the workplace is really going to benefit those younger people. And by younger, let's call it, you know, five years or less in a role. Mm -hmm. The older people who have been there for years and perhaps decades and have already developed those strong relationships, it's relatively costless for them mm -hmm. to be able to work remotely and take full advantage of hybrid and flexibility. So the, the further on you are along in your career, the more attractive it might seem to be to do that. But it also means that you're not giving back, you're not paying it forward to the next generation mm -hmm. because you're not mentoring and you're not advocating and you're not giving you know, the apprenticeship that you probably enjoyed early in your career. What's your one big takeaway for listeners right now who want to secure an advocate but don't know where to start? You know, sometimes uh, when I speak to my classes, and this is even true at the MBA level, and I'll talk about you know, making yourself valued by and sometimes even indispensable to someone you want to cultivate as an advocate, they'll look at me and say, but I'm so young, I don't have anything to offer. To which my response is nonsense. Everything, everyone has something to offer. Mm -hmm. You just need to figure out what it is. I remember this great story from a few years ago that was told actually by uh, an Emory MBA uh, alum. And he said, you know, I had this client um, that I really liked a lot. I thought we had a great relationship. And for eight years after we finished our last project, like every so often I would send this client an article or a book review that I thought, you know, she would enjoy. And I never heard back from her. Like I never heard back from her. And I, you know, I assumed it was just not that valued or helpful, but I continued to do it. And then I ran into her at a conference, and she couldn't have been more appreciative. She was like, John, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all of those pieces of literature that you send along that help make me better at my job, mm -hmm. right? So there's always something you can do for people, even if it's, hey, you know, you mentioned that, you know, your child is having this issue with X, Y, and Z. I ran across this research report. I thought you might want to take a look at it. Mm -hmm. um, that can be one important thing that you can do to cultivate an advocate. Um, another one that, again, is going to seem really obvious, but so few people do it these days Serendipity does play a role in the world, and sometimes you don't know who you're talking to. You know, I was sitting on a flight one time, I think between D.C. and Boston, and the Delta shuttle, and I sat next to an elderly gentleman 
And uh, he kept talking to me, and I, I usually don't talk to people on planes. I was trying to get through the Wall Street Journal, but, but I was raised to be very polite, especially to my elders. So, you know, he ended up getting me to have a conversation with him, and, you know, turns out he was a very powerful hedge fund manager, right? And he, um, he was interested in having us do some work for him. So again, you just never know those serendipitous conversations, so make yourself open to having those. Cultivate the value of serendipity because sometimes it will lead you into unforeseen yet wonderful places. Renee is an associate professor in the practice of organization and management at Emory University's Guisueta Business School. She joined today to discuss the critical role advocates play in career growth and success. Thank you, Renee. Thank you, Melanie. It was such a pleasure to be here. For more information about the Guizueta Effect podcast, please visit emory.biz slash podcast.